following content is provided by Mythgard Institute. Mythgard, making scholarly discussion of fantasy and science fiction literature free and open to everyone. Good evening, everybody. How are you guys doing tonight? <clears throat> Welcome to session 20 of La Mort d'Arthur, our Mythgard, our, <laughs> our Did You Realize What You Were Getting Yourself Into, uh, Mythgard Academy class <clears throat> on Sir Thomas Mallory's Mort d'Arthur. Uh, so welcome back. Uh, first of all, one thing, if I, uh, uh, make any strange faces or anything during class tonight, I, uh, sustained a minor injury this evening. Not, I didn't break anything. Pretty sure, pretty sure I didn't break anything. Uh, but I, uh, I, I injured one of my feet. So, uh, I'm sitting here like, oh, I, with my feet on the concrete floor. But I was like, you know what? If Sir Tristram can unseat Sir Palamides twice, uh, like with the truncheon of Sir Lancelot's spear sticking out of his side, then like I can teach class with a, with a, with through an injury. Uh, so um, anyway, it's all it's. I'm almost exactly like the Fisher King, Dolores Stroke. Not quite. Didn't get fully pierced, you know, through both thighs or anything. Just uh, just a, a, a very serious contusion uh, on one foot, but it's okay. Um, oh, Karina, it was all good. It was in the act of violence so that was all that was all good uh you should see the other guy um <laughs> but it was it was good yeah and mike no i i don't think i'll i don't think i'll need wooden shoes uh not long term anyway you know maybe maybe i guess you can't have short-term prosthetics can you but uh i, I should be fine <laughs> i should be fine <laughs> um it's all good yeah um so anyway just again, just just in case, I'm I'm prone to I'm I'm liable to forget about it and then shift my position and be like, whoa. Anyways, just wanted to make sure you you didn't weren't too surprised. Um, anyway, oh, yeah, Mike, so Yana recommends against the wooden shoes. So we have the uh, the uh, the 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 Dutch person says that wooden shoes are a bad idea. So okay, I can so easily believe that. All right. Uh, now, one other much more uh, uh, serious and positive and exciting. Um, well, two, actually. Two uh, uh, announcements I wanted to make. One uh, short-term announcement, which is next Thursday night is the next Mythgard Movie Club. Uh, so I hope that you'll come and join us for a discussion of The Crimes of Grindelwald, uh, which is really good. It's kind of a returning to the beginning, the very f the sort of the, the, the first event that kind of kicked off the Mythgard Movie Club. Um, kind of got people, you know, saying like, hey, this was really fun. We should keep doing this kind of thing. Uh, was uh, the one fantastic rogue beast, uh, uh, one where they talked about Rogue One and uh, uh, the uh, Fantastic Beasts film uh, last year. So doing the next Fantastic Beasts film uh, is like a return to, uh, you know, the origins of the club. So uh, that should be uh, that should be a lot of fun. <laughs> Zach, you have a lot of opinions about that movie. It's good. I haven't seen it yet. I, I've I, I've been meaning to catch it, but I haven't had a chance to yet. Uh, I'm uh, I, I'm looking forward to. I actually quite like the first one, but I haven't seen the second one yet. So, uh, anyhow, um, we. Um, uh, uh, so, just wanted to remind you that's next Thursday, uh, and uh, make sure that you can. Uh, uh, you can join us for that. The uh, second sort of broader announcement is just to remind you, I think I talked about this last week, but just to remind you uh, about our holiday special for uh, Anytime Audit uh, gift certificates. So if you're, if you're looking for uh, an interesting and sort of 
you know, meaningful and substantial gift for, uh, you know, a hard to find gifts for person on your list, uh, consider getting a gift certificate for an anytime audit uh, uh, tuition for uh, one of our Signum courses. Uh, it's uh, we're doing we're, we're running a special normally the anytime audit tuition. You can get one for yourself or you can get a gift certificate is ninety five dollars. We're running a special. So it's seventy five dollars for the whole holiday period period. So between now and I think the end of the uh, the end of the month. Um, so. For $75, you can get a gift certificate for somebody. They, they can choose whatever course they want uh, from our entire selection and uh, they, uh, you know, from our, from our whole archive. And uh, you get access not only to all of the recording of the class recordings and all the, the recorded lectures, uh, but you also get access to all of the, uh, the, the, the handouts and the, um, uh, you know, so all of the, the reading assignments and the, the secondary readings and the, um, uh, the, and you get access to our library resources and everything, so it's pretty cool. So uh, I hope that you will uh, consider that when you're buying gifts for folks uh, in this uh, holiday season. It's it's a it's a pretty fun and unusual option. Um, and uh, yes, Takako, you're right. Our spring semester registration is uh, is heating up now. We have uh, uh, lots of registrations for spring. Really, really fun uh, classes that are going on this spring, uh, including things like our our uh, our Intro to Anglo-Saxon class, which is always really popular. Our H.P. Lovecraft class, our um, our new class, the uh, the uh, the the English Epic class, which is uh, a really really great one. Um, so uh anyway um yeah yeah so uh it's um uh it's very uh, uh uh lots of cool options for the spring so i i trust you to um um uh, i i i trust you to go to look through those on the signum university website so all right okay um yeah, Tarlonio, the English epic class is going to be really fun. It's it's sort of like the it's a, I think I think the full title is the Life and Times of the English Epic. Um, uh, really cool. One of the course, one of the features of that class is we've been we've been kind of really wanting to have a good Milton class at Signum for a while. We've never really covered uh, Milton, uh, so that was one of the things that kind of led us uh, to this. But we loved the, the proposal for this class, uh, which thinks sort of much much more broadly uh, about kind of the history of, you know, the, 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 the approach to the, the epic uh, in England. Anyway, really it's, it's going to be a great class. Um, so um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. And that is, that is a brand new class. So there will be live lectures for that class. So that class uh, that will have the premier audit option, um, meaning you can, you can audit the class and live and sit in on the class sessions like, like, as you are doing with uh, uh, w- with this class now, um, so it's pretty cool. Let's see. What are the chances of us still being in Mallory when it's finished? Rachel asks. No comment on that. Pretty good. Pretty good, actually, <laughs> on the subject of the English epic. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, Peter, I love Paradise Lost too. I, you know, I don't think there's. Um, I don't think there is any more just like powerful and resonant application of the English language than in Milton's Paradise Lost. I remember the very first time I just like sat down and read book one of Paradise Lost and I'm like, man, it feels like every line should be read like in reverb, you know, it's just like, oh man, it's like it has to be, it, 
many poems, you know, beg to be read aloud, right? Paradise Lost begs to be declaimed, you know, you just gotta, you, you can't just read it in any old voice. Um, yeah. And Spencer, oh, Rachel, there has rarely been uh, an English poet with a more musical with a, with a, with a, with a more musical sense of of the language than Edmund Spencer, the Fairy Queen is one of the most simply beautiful works of English poetry uh, that I know of. Um, it, it doesn't have that like the thunder and power of Milton, but oh, it is so euphonious and lovely. Um, I could read uh, the Fairy Queen, you know, Spencer's stanzas uh so playful with his rhymes so uh 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 so just so spot on with his uh with his rhythm and the sound uh so gorgeous so gorgeous and yes Zach it will be available for any time audit uh when it's when it's finished so yeah starting in the summertime that'll be available for any time audit absolutely um yeah cool anyway yeah so that's going to be that's going to be a really fun uh a really fun class that we're offering this coming spring. But anyway, all right. I should... Um, oh, yeah, you read The Fairy Queen in high school? That's hardcore, Rachel. That's, that's pretty serious. I loved The Fairy Queen. The Fairy Queen... I actually did my undergraduate uh, my undergraduate thesis uh, on The Fairy Queen. Um, was one of my... One of my... Uh, just one of my... Very, it was funny because I was like... I was a medievalist and I was like, I'm all about the middle ages and I can't wait to go to college and study medieval stuff. And I did. And then I read the fairy queen and I'm like, I'm writing on this. Holy cow. And, and you know, so uh, here I am, you know, the hardcore medievalist doing my, uh, doing my thesis on a, on a, on a 16th century poem. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Yeah. If the fairy queen should ever win a Mythgard Academy election, that will also be a substantially lengthy class, uh, as it's the longest poem in the English language. But it's, um, it's, <laughs> it, would, it would be pretty sweet, I gotta say. Uh, but uh, anyway. Okay. All right. Anyway. Lots of stuff to talk about there. But let's get back to uh, the. Not exactly the. It's not exactly an epic, but the uh, 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 epic-ish uh, uh, Mort d'Arthur here uh, by Thomas Mallory. So, um, we last time didn't get as far as I wanted. Big surprise. So we were just getting up to. Ah, right. We just uh, got up to, but not including uh, the um, the madness of Sir Tristram. So let's. Um, uh, Let's, let's, let's get back to it here. Okay. So you'll remember that Sir Tristram thoughtfully brought his brother-in-law, though he left his wife at home, uh, his semi-wife, at home in Brittany, uh, when he comes back to Cornwall. And then his brother-in-law, uh, Sir Cahydens, falls in love with La Belle Isote, right? And so you'll remember he writes several plaintive letters to La Belle Isode, and she wrote one kindly letter back to him, right? And then, now we come to the climactic and horrifying moment when Tristram discovers the letters, right? So there they are, all of them. All three of them? Is Brangwain there too? Is Gouvernail there too? I don't know, there's like a party going on in La Belle Isode's 
private chamber, which like, and it's pretty clear at one point they talk about it, like if they got caught there, everybody's in trouble, right? I mean, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, what are they, like teenagers smoking pot late at night or something? I mean, it's like it's one thing to be like to sneak off to visit your lover in her chamber, uh, you know, and have your her husband not catch you. That's kind of a standard thing. But the larger the cast gets, you know, I'm, I'm like, what's, what's, uh, what exactly is happening here? Um, but anyhow, okay. So uh, 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 King Mark, however, is busy sitting down uh, in the garden below playing chess or something. And uh, But anyway, now Tristram has discovered the letters between his brother-in-law and his girlfriend. Oh, dear. Then Sir Tristram is come unto La Bellisode inside. Madam, here is a letter that was sent unto you. And here is the letter that ye sent unto him that sent you that letter. Alas, madam, the good love that I have loved you, and many londes and great riches have I forsaken for your love, and now ye are a traitorous unto me, which doth me great pain. But as for thee, Sir Cahidens, I brought thee out of Britain into this country, and thy father, King Howell, I won his landes. Howbeit, I wedded thy sister, Isode la Blanche Minas, for the goodness she did unto me, and yet, as I am a true knight, she is a clean maiden for me. But wit thou well, Sir Cahidens, for thy falsehead and treason thou hast done unto me, I will revenge it upon thee. And therewithal Sir Tristram drew his sword and said, Sir Cahidens, keep thee. And then Sir, and then La Bellisode sounded to the earth. And when Sir Cahidens saw Sir Tristram's come upon him, he saw none other boot, but leapt out at a bay window, even over the head, where sat King Mark playing at the chess. Yeah, he is playing chess. And when the king saw one come hurling over his head, <laughs> I love this line, he sighed, Fellow! <laughs> I can't handle it. Fellow, who art thou? And what is the cows thou leap out at that window? <laughs> I I gotta think that <laughs> I gotta think that if I'm sitting there in the garden playing chess, and then a strange knight jumps out of my wife's second story window <laughs> over my head, I'm not gonna be like Fellow. <laughs> Who art thou? As he goes, I, 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 I imagine as he's delivering this line, his head and 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 body sort of tracking Sir Cahidens as he arcs overhead, and and presumably falls to the ground, and uh, um, uh, and uh, <laughs> and Sir Cahidens, to his credit, uh, has an answer, right? Uh, you know, he, he, I, I didn't, I didn't include his answer on the slide, right? But he's like, I was uh, sleeping on the windowsill, uh, and I fell. As- I was, I was sitting on the windowsill, and I fell asleep and accidentally tumbled out the window. Right? He goes for the, uh, uh, he goes for the Apostle Paul excuse, uh, and uh, exactly, it's a defenestration interrogation, Sharon. But like, an interrogation, most, like it's. <laughs> Usually you don't have a, an interrogation of someone who is in the process of defenestrating themselves, right? Um, anyway, uh, so it's, I just, I think this is, uh, I think this is lovely. Um, I, right, yeah, Mike says uh, uh, King Mark, of course, couldn't pursue him because, you know, kings can only move one square at a time. Uh, yes, that does seem to be his problem. Um 
Yeah, so exactly. It's the Eutychus defense, Mike. That's exactly it. Um, sorry, that's uh, uh, so um, uh, Eutychus is the name of the guy. I forget what town they were in, uh, in the book of Acts, who's sitting in the window while the apostle Paul is preaching and who falls asleep during the sermon and uh, falls out of the window and is taken up dead. Uh, it's the phrase in the King James. I love that phrase. He's taken up dead. And uh, and then the, the apostle, and then he, you know, and then there's a miracle and he gets better. Uh, but, um, yeah, anyhow. Okay. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but anyway, apart from the comedy of the, the midair interview between King Mark, <laughs> King Mark and Sir Cahydens, uh, Tristram, right? So, I have to admit, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to think of this. My impulse is to be a little bit outraged against Sir Tristram here, right? Um, Saying, you know, dude, like, seriously? She's not guilty of really anything. Um, I mean, it's unclear... We're not told exactly what the content of her letter to Circa Hydens was, other than that it was kind. I forget the exact word. If anyone can find it, uh, I think there's an adjective describing her letter or like her motivations like this. We're, we're told only a very, very little. I'm forgetting the word that we were told uh, about um, how she was treating him. She had she felt pity for him. And see, that's a tricky thing, because on the one hand, um a woman having pity on a man, traditionally, that has pretty serious overtones. That is, that's like the number one favorite pickup line, right? I mean, the medieval courtly lovers, absolute number one, like the, 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 the most tried and true pickup line in the book in the Middle Ages is, fair damsel, I shall certainly die... Uh, for your love, if you do not have pity on me. So sleep with me, or else you'll be guilty of murder and you'll have my blood on your conscience for the rest of your life. That's how the number one medieval pickup line generally goes. Um, and um, it's... Um, uh, so pity is considered when the... Um, States of mind and virtues and things are allegorized, as they we like to do in medieval poetry. Pity is always the ally of the lover, right? It's the, her pity that you want to appeal to, and it it might seem counterintuitive, right? You know, if you're trying to win the heart of a lady, pity me might not seem like your number one goal, right? That might not be, might not seem that it would necessarily be what winning would look like, right? Except it, it totally was in the con- in, in the way that they sort of framed things, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> Corita informs me that men still do the I'm dying uh, 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 thing. I, I totally, I can believe it. I can, I, I can believe it, Corita. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, so... Um, so if she is having so so there are implications like to say she's having pity on him 
is one way of saying that she gives in. I don't think that's the case here. I don't think that La Belle Isode is, you know, taking Sir Cahydens as a lover behind Tristram's back. He's reacting as if that were the case. That's why I'm having a problem with this. Like, I, I, I always have a problem with this passage because I'm trying to figure out to what extent is K... K. To what extent it... Well, K. I think it's just because I'm looking at Cahydens. But uh, that's a, an interesting kind of Freudian slip. But anyway, um, to what extent is Sir Tristram overreacting? Right. That's the question. I'm not sure that I know the answer to. Um, I agree with Carita and with um, Catriona that he seems to be primarily just letting she seems to be letting him down easy. Right. Um, not that she, she's not. I don't think she's promising Circa Hayden's anything. She's just, you know, being kind to him. Uh, and uh, and letting him down easy. Agreed. Tristram's response, like, he wrote you love letters, and you wrote a letter back to him, right? Um, and I, I love how he, he does this reveal, like it's the end of an Agatha Christie novel or something here, right? Here is the letter that you sent. Uh, uh, here is a letter that was sent to you. And here is a letter that was sent to the person who sent you this letter, right? And that person is you, Sir Cahydens, right? I mean, that's, um, okay. Um, so, yeah, Terlonio, that's exactly it, right? Terlonio says, I got married, but never mind that. You wrote a letter to somebody. Yeah, now again, Within the framework of the medieval courtly love tradition, writing a letter can be a big deal. Showing pity and kindness towards a man who is wooing you can be a big deal. It can be, you can, you know, once you kind of commit yourself, even in a small way, you know, then you can be committed. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that could be taken as uh, very, uh, very plain encouragement, um, even a commitment on your part. Um, but, um, yeah, Tristram, one would think, would have small grounds to complain, as he did, in fact, go and marry somebody else. Um, now, he brings that up himself. Um, the two things that interest me here about his bringing that up. So he's not trying to hide this. Of course, it's kind of hard to hide that when his brother-in-law is literally the, the other night in question. However, um, the two things that interest me about Three, three. There are three things that interest me about that sentence, the sentence about Isode Leblanche Mainz. Uh, one is that it begins with the word howbeit, right? Um, howbeit I wedded thy sister, but wit thou well, right? Um, I'm just looking at the sort of the logical flow of Tristram's thought here. By introducing the sentence with the word howbeit, he seems to acknowledge that this is a point against him, right? Despite the fact that, like, although I did marry, like, that's kind of like what the word howbeit means in that, or it's how I take the word howbeit uh, in that context. Um, uh, so it, it seems like he is framing it as an acknowledgement um, that, you know, this is a black mark against his record and he's coming out with it. And then how does he contextualize it? Howbeit I wedded thy sister. For the goodness she did unto me. Okay, so what? Like you had a good reason to marry her? Okay. 
I don't see how that makes it better when it comes to the question of your faithfulness to La Belle Isode, right? Um, I mean, what if Sir Cahydens is being showing goodness to her, right? Uh, but anyway, and then his proclamation that she's a queen maiden for him, as if that makes it okay, right? We didn't consummate the marriage. Um, uh, one of the things that that shows, at the very least, is that he feels the need to excuse himself. Um, he's trying to like get himself off on a technicality as well. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Um, let's see, Devra, oh, Devra's asking if he's choosing this moment to admit he never slept with his wife. No, that's definitely come up before. I mean, I know the narrators told us about it, but I'm pretty sure he has bragged about that in the past. And yes, uh, Crystal Eowyn swooned means swooned. Um, uh, Izzo just faints dead away uh, at the moment that Sir Tristram is challenging Sir Cahydens, uh to combat here in her bedroom. Yeah, I, I, I did remember that he bragged about it in his letter to Lancelot, right? Again, trying to excuse himself. He, he keeps holding that up as if it should be an accepted, uh, what, moderating factor, right? You know, if you're, when you are judging my case as to whether or not I've been unfaithful as a lover, keep in mind, uh, you know, that she's a clean maiden as for me, right? Um, uh, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing, Dolorestroke, because he just said I smoked, but I didn't inhale, and and I swear to God, Dolorestroke, I was just thinking of Bill Clinton myself when he typed that. <laughs> yes, yes. This doesn't this sound like a slightly Clintonian argument that uh, Tristram is making here? Um, I totally, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Uh, you caught me in the middle of the, uh, like, do I really want to go there moment? Uh, but now obviously I have to. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's, um, again, he seems to, he seems to feel that this clearly, this clearly gets him off in some sense on some kind of technicality. Does it though? That is is that how others receive it? Um, La Belle Zode has accepted him back. Lancelot seems to have forgiven him. What I can't figure is, is this just because they're good and kind and charitable and generous to him? Or is it because they accept his excuse and they're like, oh, well, whew, oh, you know, okay, he didn't actually... Fine, then, right? If she's a clean maiden, then, you know, it's uh, good. So we got to third base, but no further. Oh, fine. Okay. In that, in that case, the betrayal is off, right? Uh, all the things that we said about him uh, being a false lover, we take back. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Um, well, see, Nancy, if it were anybody else who were changing their minds about Sir Tristram, I would think that it would be because, maybe because they didn't want to fight with him. Uh, not Lancelot, though. Lancelot's not going to back down for that reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Zach, I... See, I feel very much that I don't... I feel like I'm not really getting things here. That is, I don't... Okay, well, Zach, basically, I agree with you. Zach, so Zach Coleman was just saying, I wouldn't be happy if I was the brother-in-law. This is a pretty lousy thing to do to his sister. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and I'm tempted to think the same way, right? You know, to be like, man, if I were Circa Hydens, I would be kind of ticked. Uh, but Circa Hydens does not seem to feel that way. Circa Hydens is like Tristram's number one fan. Right? I mean, he's coming along with him, not just as his friend, but he's coming along with him as his, I mean, he's not his lackey, that's unfair, but um, but he's like Tristram's fanboy. Uh, and remember, it was in part uh, her brother and her father's good offices that convinced him, anyway, to uh, to marry Isolde Blanche Main. So he was, you know, Circa Hydens was Tristram's fan before Tristram married his sister. And yet, um, uh, sidekick. Yeah, exactly, Deborah. He has come here as Tristram's sidekick. He's self-consciously Tristram's sidekick, right? Um, and uh, anyway, so I... Um, I can't track Sir Kehyden's response. Like, so, Zach, what I can't figure out is... Are we just wrong about that, you and me? Like, is this like, are we just projecting what, what we would feel if someone treated our sister this way and talked about or bragged about, you know, our sister this way to like the, you know, his, you know, uh, girlfriend on the side? I, or so maybe it's just us. Maybe it's just us. Like, it's how we would feel about it, but they don't feel this way. And so we shouldn't expect Circa Hydens to react the same way that we would react in that same position. That kind of thing often happens in medieval literature, so you have to be careful about that kind of thing. However, um, it also just could be that, you know, Mallory's insufficiently interested in Sir Kahiden's character to tell us what's going on in Sir Kahiden's head exactly. Um, I, you know, I don't really, I don't really know. Um, but, uh, yeah, Rachel, it's possible that Sir Kahiden's attitude could be seen as a strike against his character, against Sir Kahiden's character. Possibly. But, I, um, first of all, how could anybody with that many Y's in their name be wrong, right? Uh, but apart from that, um, we don't get any other prompting that I can see in the text to criticize Circa Haydn's. Um, I'm always, and we've been talking about this since the very first class, I'm always looking for those cues, right? Those those little directives we get, those little promptings that the text will give us. Um, it doesn't always, but, you know, do, do, what kind of feedback do we get? What kind of, and I just, I don't see, um, Sir Cahadden seems to be a great guy. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Karina's not a fan. 
<laughs> the wise in his name is the best and only defense you've heard so far. It's tough, but I uh, I hear he is quick-witted, Marilyn. I agree that not everybody could come up with that defense uh, mid-flight through the air. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, okay, so Zach adds, everyone's acceptance of Tristram's excuse suggests that what was done to the other Isode was the right thing to do. Well, it was not necessarily from her point of view. See, this is, again, where the conflict comes, I find. Um, it doesn't mean it was great to do to her. Maybe it was. I mean, if she's still a queen maiden, she could remarry. And no harm, no foul, right? Um, I mean, as he's pretty much walked away from her at this point, um, I guess. But... Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I'm just not sure how I'm supposed to feel about... The, well, no, I mean, I am sure how we're supposed to feel about Tristram and Isolde, though. Um, Tristram and Isolde 1, that is, Tristram and La Belle Isolde, because like, they're, they're, like, one of the two greatest pairs of lovers, right? They, they are the second best lovers in the world. We're supposed to approve of them. We're supposed to disapprove, not of... Isode LeBlanchbane's herself. She didn't do anything wrong. Um, but we are supposed to disapprove of um, Tristram marrying her. And so I think we're supposed to imagine his last minute stopping at third base on their wedding night to be a, a good thing on his part. You know, almost a day late, a dollar short, but not quite, right? I mean, he comes right up to the cliff and then stops, I think. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true, Karita. I really shouldn't say no harm, no foul, especially since she's going to die young out of, uh, 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 out of love for pining away for Tristram, I think, so... Both kind of both harm and foul there, really. Um, yeah. Oh, but Karina, I wouldn't worry too much about her childbearing years uh, because she's probably like 14. <laughs> Seriously, LeBlanche Mains is probably like, I don't know, eh, maybe not 14, but I bet she's probably not more than 16. Uh, so she's still got plenty of childbearing years left. Um, anyway, I, 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 like I said, I really... This is one of the things, personally, so you know that I'm very reluctant to say, to draw the conclusion that says, I just, I don't think that this bit of the story is working very well. I'm very slow to come to that conclusion. Um, this is one of the reasons why I incline in that direction, that I think that he, Mallory does not seem... does not seem invested in the Tristram and his own story, like he's going to be invested in the Lancelot and Guinevere story later on. Um, and it seems to me that we are kind of going through certain motions in order to, as I was arguing at the beginning of the Tristram story, in order to establish um, certain... Uh, 
establish certain scenarios, certain precedents, certain ideas and concepts to prepare us for things which are going to be important later on, right? Um, but I don't think that he has really invested enough in... So whether or not he cared about it, the story itself doesn't really seem to invest enough in their stories. Honestly, I feel that the story, the, uh, the anguish and frustration of Sir Palamides is a much more well-drawn and nuanced story than the story of La Belle Isode. Or of Sir Tristram himself, really, certainly in his affair uh, with La Belle Isode. His relationship with Sir Palamides, however, is a much more interesting story, I think. Um, yeah, Dolor, I, Dolly, I agree. It's hard not to think that there, that Trist, at the very least, that Tristram is applying a pretty wicked double standard here, right? Um, it's okay to marry someone else, but if she writes a letter, then she betrays him. Um, yeah, I. No matter what happens, I really think that. Um, um, I really think that he is overreacting here. But this is what makes it the more interesting. This sequence, of course, is all leading up to his madness, uh, to his running mad in the woods. And if, if the basis of his insanity is sort of clouded by hypocrisy and overreaction on his part, it really undermines the whole insanity thing, right? Um, but I have a hard time really investing in Sir Tristram's insanity anyway. Uh, Sir Tristram's insanity seems always has always seemed a little pro forma to me. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And Lynn, isn't Sir Palamides more interesting? Yeah, we'll get to Sir Palamides in a minute. Um, yeah, yeah. Karina, I agree. And honestly, that... What you're describing is going to be is going to continue happening more and more. Uh, Karita was just saying: the more I read this, the more I feel like uh, Tristram and Palamides is the real story, and Isode is just there to trigger their conflict. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I I agree, and again, I think that's going to become more rather than less pronounced. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. Trisherman Palamides is the real story, and the and the the real female lead is Brungwine, who's everywhere, right? Um, she's the one who actually does stuff uh, and is involved in things. Um, anyway, okay, let's keep going. How about that? Here's another reason why I don't really have a. Uh, why I have a hard time investing in Tristram's madness is that he does this so gradually and almost seems like he's got to work himself up to it, right? And there... Oh, so there by fortune, the damsel. So the damsel in question that we're talking about here is Sir Palamides' damsel. The word has gone out, right, about the blow-up uh, with the belly zode and Sir Cahydens and the defenestration and, and Tristram running off, right? Uh, so... The rumor mill's been working on this. Sir Palamides has heard that Tristram has run off into the woods. So he sends his damsel. He's got a damsel. I don't know what her affiliation is. Uh, but he's got a damsel, and he sends her off to f to hunt for Sir Tristram. And this damsel hunts high and low. for. She's dedicated to her job, right? And she's um, 
looking for Sir Tristram. And there by fortune the damsel met with Sir Tristram again, mocking the greatest dole that ever earthly creature mad, and she yode to the laddie of that castle and told of the misadventure of Sir Tristramus. Alas, said the laddie of that castle, where is my lord Sir Tristramus? Ricked here by your castle, sighed the maid, the damsel. In good time, said the laddie. Is he so nigh me? He shall have meat and drink of the best, and an harp I have of his, whereupon he talked me, for of good harping he beareth the price of the world. Am I a bad person for thinking like, oh, Sir Tristram gave her harping lessons, okay? Ah, oh, she's another one. Anyway, so this laddie and damsel brought him meat and drink, but he ate little, little thereof. Then upon a nicht he put his horse from him, and unlasted his armor, and so he yode unto the wilderness, and brossed down the trees and bowers, for reasons. And other while, when he found the harp that the laddie sent him, then wolt he harp and ply thereupon, and weep to getters. And sometime, when he was in the wood, the laddie wist not where he was. Then wolt she set her down, and play upon the harp. And anon Sir Tristramus would come to the harp and hearken thereto, and sometime he would harp himself. Remember Tristram's first scene, right? Not the one where he was born, but uh, the first action that he played in, right? Uh, when he comes to Cornwall and delivers it from the Truage. Uh, remember who he was then? We had a we had a very clear. Um, we we had a very clear uh, biblical parallel, remember, right? What was? Uh, yeah, exactly. He was he was David, and uh, Sir Marhouse was Goliath, right? Um. Now. You're right, Mike. Now he's a little bit like Nebuchadnezzar, at least Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel chapter 4, right? Going mad for a while and then coming back out. Um, but the responding to the harp, right? Having his madness eased by the harp. Um, now he's like Saul, right? Um, for those of you who don't know, one of the other stories about uh, the young David before he becomes king, when King Saul is still king, uh, King Saul has these bad days, you know, his, uh, this, uh, an, an evil spirit that comes upon him by the Lord. By the way, my understanding, I don't think that means like God sends a demon to afflict him. Um, but he has an evil, like he is in evil spirits. He is, uh, he is distempered, you know, in his spirits. Um, but he is, his affliction is helped by the harping of young David. So young David comes and plays the harp to ease the spirit of, uh, of King Saul in his, uh, in his malady. Um, so King Mark was Saul. Tristram was David. Marhaus was Goliath in that uh, fairly clear parallel that we got back at the beginning of Tristram's career. Kind of interesting that um, uh, it's kind of interesting that we um, should have um, uh, Tristram in the King Saul role here, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, but again, the thing that I find unconvincing about Tristram is that he's in this. He starts off in this semi-mad state. Like I'm not mad. I, I'm not insane. I'm just really upset, right? So I'm running off into the woods and I'm 
moaning a lot and stuff, but I've not gone completely insane. You can tell because I'm still clothed, right? Uh, and then out, he seems to come to the decision, right, to run mad. Um, and so he, like, gets rid of his horse and he takes off his armor and strips himself of his clothing and runs off into the woods. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Got a couple people. Uh, Lee was just remembering the, uh, Sir Orfeo here, the whole, like, harping and madness in the woods. Um, yeah, yeah, it should. Um, Orfeo is, uh, 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 Tristram is a great harper. Uh, he's not Sir Orfeo. Right. I don't think uh, we I don't think that like the birds and beasts uh, come to listen to him, his harping uh, when he's harping. Um, but um, uh, but you're right that we do get a kind of reversal lay here. Right. Where the lady is harping and he is uh, and he is coming to her. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. And I don't see any. I don't see any reason to think that Mallory is thinking either of Sir Orfeo, the poem itself, um, or of even the Orpheus legend, which of course Sir Orfeo was 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 deliberately adapting. Um, so, uh, I don't I don't I don't see that. It seems that the the point here is um, we're recalling it's his contact with like the cultured world, right? Harping was his thing. This is the one thing he comes back and recognizes. Um, the one thing which re remains his contact with human civilization, right? Which he has otherwise left behind in his woodness. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I just love the rescue squad. Thus Sir Tristramus endured there an half-year naked, and will never come in town ne village. I hope it was the summer half of the year that he was enduring in the woods naked. So the meanwhile, the damsel that Sir Palamides sent to seek Sir Tristram, she yode unto Sir Palamides, and told him of all the mischief that Sir Tristram endured. Alas, said Sir Palamides, it is great pity that ever so noble a knight should be so mischieved for the love of a laddie. But nevertheless, I will go and seek him, and comfort, and I may. Then a little before that time, La Belle Isode had commanded Sir Cahydens out of the country of Cornwall. So Sir Cahydens departed with a dolorous heart, and by adventure he met with Sir Palamides. They fellowship togetters, and either complained to other of their hot love that they loved La Belle Isode. So the one thing that Sir Cahydens and Sir Palamides have in common is that the two of them uh, love La Belle Isode and Sir Tristram is in their way. And so it's the two of them who meet up together, uh, bond over this, and then the two of them go to try to rescue and help uh, Sir Tristram. Um, I... Mike says, so does naked just mean out of his armor? No, I think it means he's actually legitimately naked. Um, 
I think this is you know the whole like garment rending thing. Like he's done the guy. He takes off his armor um, and throws it aside. But I, I think he's legitimately naked, uh, running around through the woods. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so notice it is possible, of course, to do a reading of this where Sir Palamides is hoping to take advantage of the opportunity um, to um, uh, to take advantage of the opportunity to hunt Sir Tristram down and kill him while he's naked in the woods, right? Uh, I mean, I definitely think that that's um, um, that that's that that's definitely a possibility. Um, but I don't believe that at all. Uh, I you know and comfort him. And I may, right? You can say that in an ominously, you know, ironic tone, but I, I don't think so. And I don't think that he's sending his damsel off to spy on him with malicious intent either. Um, Sir Palamides seems legitimately upset um, that, um, uh, seems legitimately upset that he um, is having such problems, right? That Sir, uh, that Sir Tristram, uh, is, uh, is mischieved, so mischieved for the love of Eladi. Um, there is this sense, right? In which, I mean, notice so mischieved for the love of Eladi. And then in the next paragraph, he's talking about how uh, you know, Sir Palamides is talking to Sir Cahydens about their hot love with which they loved La Belle Isode. So his response when he hears that Tristram is run mad into the woods is not, come on, man, like, keep your perspective, right? Or, or rather, no, his, 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 it's not, you know, oh, man, like, there but for the grace of God go I, right? I totally feel you, Sir Tristram. I mean, I've almost, like, stripped naked and run off into the woods many times because of my hot love for La Belle Isode, right? Um, but no, he's like, boy, man, this is really terrible for the love of a lady, like any old lady. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, he does, um, <laughs> there but for the grace of God run I. Exactly, Mike. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Mighty Felix on Twitch thinks that these guys should all just agree that Isode is trouble and go out for a beer or something. In her defense, uh, Felix, I would say it's it's not her fault. Right? She didn't really ask for this, uh, but uh, not even for Tristram, really. As remember, there was a love potion involved, um, uh, b- though she was kind of into him before that, anyhow. But um, yeah. Aha, yeah, Carita says, uh, uh, Sir Palamides appears to be capable of empathy, unlike some knights <laughs> whom we uh, will not name. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, running off mad, let's see, is that correct in the social context, but ultimately not that important? Well, let's see. It's, Running mad into the woods is a thing. I mean, it's an accepted. It happens. Like it's 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 uh, um, it's an occupational hazard. Well, remember I said last time, 
Like, I'm not sure whether to call it an occupational hazard or a lifestyle choice, right? Uh, with Tristram, I'm tempted to call it a lifestyle choice at this particular time. But it's, um, um, yeah, so Mike, I do think that the uh, uh, instead of judging him for being emo, uh, the, the, de- the depth of his love speaks well for his depth of passion. Yeah, no, like the greatest of lovers is going to, like, yes. Um, if your lady betrays you, or if you think your lady is betraying you, if you're massively overreacting and accusing your lady of betraying you, and you don't feel almost intolerably powerful emotions, then you're you're a pretty milk toast lover. You really are. Um, so yeah, no that running mad can for that way for in that in that way um, living naked in the woods for half a year goes on your resume. Honestly, it, 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 it does. Notice that he is never an object of scorn. That is, no one ever is like, oh, sir, did you hear that Sir Tristram ran mad in the woods? Like, Sir Tristram was running naked in the woods for six months. Oh, can you even believe that, right? No one says that. Whenever anyone hears that Sir Tristram is running mad, everyone is just sorry for him, right? Oh, boy, it's really, it's, you know, we hope Tristram gets better, right? Um, it's, uh, it's just, it's sort of something that he's going through, and it's, it's fine, Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Rachel, yes, uh, it is. I think of Don Quixote. There are a lot of parts of Maori that make me think of Don Quixote, but yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's running mad as sort of night sabbatical. <laughs> I don't know. It's not like something you're entitled to once every seven years or something like that. Right. That's right. Sorry. No, I'd love to attend the tournament, but I can't. I'm running mad next semester. I, yeah, it's been a long time coming for me. So, um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. So, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's uh let's let's move on. I was really I was really kind of hoping that Sir Cahydens and Sir Palamides would would become BFFs for life, but so King Mark finds Sir Tristram, but needless to say, no one can recognize him. Right now you apparently you don't have to be in armor to not be able to recognize people. Now, he's been running naked for six months, so he's hairy, you know, he's gonna look like uh um uh, you know, he's going to look like, you know, the hermit in the life of Brian, you know, but uh, he, so sure, he's probably got the crazy hair going on. He's been bruised and I don't know, but it still seems a little bit of a stretch that no one, including La Belle Zode, doesn't recognize him. Right. Um, I mean, do you think if there were anyone who could identify Sir Tristram in the nude, it would be La Belle Zode, right? Uh, but no, apparently that doesn't work either. Um, uh, like Tom Hanks in Castaway. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, Karita, I agree. It's a really good thing that nobody has to come and identify anybody's body, right? It, it kind of made, uh, made me, uh, like it would be like a really like sort of black humor, you know, comic, uh, 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 you know, sort of Mallory joke. You know, to have somebody come to, you know, being asked to, 
to identify a body and be like, I have no idea. I've never seen that person before. Uh, nobody could ever identify the body. Um, and yes, Karina, absolutely. The last thing you want to do is put any of these guys in front of a police lineup, right? I mean, that would be an even funnier uh, because uh, less horrible uh, context uh, for that very same Mallory joke, right? Um, anyway, uh, so it befell upon a die that the Queen La Belle Isode heard of such a man that ran naked in the forest, and how the king had brought him home to the court. Then La Belle Isode called unto her Dame Brangwine, and sighed, Come on with me, for we will go see this man that my lord brought me from the forest the last day. Brocked, not me. Brocked from the forest. He, he, he didn't bring him home as a gift for his wife, in fact. Brocked from the forest the last day. So they passed forth, and spirited where was this sick man. And then a squire told the queen that he was in the garden, tucking his rest to repose him against the sun. So when the queen looked upon Sir Tristramas, she was not remembered of him. But ever she sighed unto Dame Brangwine, Meseems I should have seen this man here before, in many places. He just, he looked, there's something familiar about him, but I just can't quite place him. But as soon as Sir Tristramas sighed he, her, he knew her well no, and then he turned away his visage and wept. Thon the queen had always a little brachet that Sir Tristramas gaff her the first time that ever she come into Cornwall, and never would that brachet depart from her, but if Sir Tristram were nigh, thereas was La Belle Isode. And this brachet was first sent from the king's doctor of France under Sir Tristram's for great love. Of course, right? So, so, so Sir Tristram regifted his, <laughs> the, the princess of France falls in love with Sir Tristram and sends him a, a brachet, right? Sends him a dog. And he regifts the dog to his girlfriend. Right? That is so wrong. But anyway, and anon, this little brachet felt a savour of Sir Tristram. He leapt upon him and licked his lairs and his ears, and then he whined and quested, and she shelled at his feet and at his hondas and on all the parts of his body that she micked come to. Ah, my laddie, said Dambrangwina, alas, I see it is mine own lord, Sir Tristramus. Okay, um... And anon this little brachet felt a savour of Sir Tristram, right? She she gets a whiff of Sir Tristram, and she knows uh, <laughs> who it is, yes. <laughs> brachet ex machina. Yeah, exactly, Dolores Stroke. Um, yeah, oh, so uh, his lyris, th those are his cheeks. So his lyris, so she's licking his, his cheeks and his ears. Um, I love the licking his ears thing. Right, she licks his cheeks and his ears, uh, and 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 then uh, I, I. So, the pronouns you got to bear with the pronouns here. Um, I believe that it's very interesting, actually, because Mallory says he several times. The dog is a brachet, which is by definition female. Okay, you don't call male dogs brachets. If it's a brachet, it's a female. Um, so. And, 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 and the Bratchet, she gets feminine, appropriately feminine pronouns sometimes, right? Like she uh, and uh, uh, that she may come to, 
right there at the bottom. Um, but then sometimes he uses um, uh, he uses the masculine pronouns. Um, why does the gender of the dog shift, Arthur? See, I don't really... The, the dog is gender fluid. Maybe. Maybe it is. Um, uh, I think um, it's... Uh, my suspicion is that he's using he because it's a dog. Um, so he's using he generically, like you would say it, basically. Um, uh, but that is not very common um, but um, she's she's oh she's she's sniffing at his feet and hands is what she's doing uh, so she's licking his face and she's whining and questing meaning she's barking right uh, and she's uh, uh, and she's she's sniffing his feet and his hands and all the parts of his body that she might come to, uh, doubtless the indecorous ones like dogs always do. Um, yeah, I. See, Karita, I think that he knows. Um... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Door stroke, yeah. You could construct a reading in which the he is somebody else, right? So if it's he, it's not the dog. <laughs> so I kind of, I kind of like the idea, Dolly. That, um, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is is there is there a squire there that's leaping on Tristram and licking his ears and cheeks? Uh, uh, see, then he whined and quested. Could be Tristram. Right, that could be his response to the day. He could be responding in the dog's own language there. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, but Sharon, yeah, are we supposed to be remembering Odysseus's dog? Um, yeah, and Mike, you were thinking the same thing. Um, <laughs> go for Nile. <laughs> Yeah, Zach, you 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 can almost imagine Gofernaya leaping up and licking his ears and cheeks, right? Gofernaya would be would be would be really excited to see him again. Uh, yeah, there could you can't rule out a second liquor, Deborah. You're absolutely correct. Um, the uh, the 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 dog perhaps is contenting herself. Uh, to sniff at his feet and hands while Governile is, is the one without self-restraint who is le leaping upon him and licking his face. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I love that reading. <laughs> oh, dear. But, um, uh, but yeah, I... I uh, you know, Karita, I, you know, agreeing with what you were saying before, I, I kind of have to think, like... Maori's obviously had dogs, right? Uh, anyone who's actually—I mean, I have a brachet myself, uh, and uh, this is exactly how my brachet behaves as well. You know, this is like, uh, uh, you know, like how my brachet behaves when we pick her up from the kennel after we've been away for a week, right? Um, so yeah, I think that this is uh, um, uh, very, very lovely brachet behavior. But I would also. This is one of those moments, it's a small point, but this is one of those moments when Maori is really kind of beginning to get there in some ways, I think. You know, this is such a delightful little moment, a delightful little touch. Um, 
his uh, this is this is really fun storytelling and really I don't know medieval literature doesn't have a lot of moments like this actually with the dog um, even though dogs recognizing people are a thing like Sharon you were mentioning Odysseus um, yes though note the Odyssey not super well known um, in the, uh, in the Middle Ages yet much very very popular in the Renaissance much less so uh, in the Middle Ages we know the story basically of Odysseus but we don't really know Homer um, but yeah it's it, uh, the parallels with Odysseus and Argus are uh, 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 hard to completely overlook however um, yeah yeah um, <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, later on, after he's recovered, right? So he's, he's all better now and everything's fine. And she explains how she, like, you know, he needs to, like, grow up, uh, about the letters and everything. And, and, and then he's fine. Um, we're closing in now on the, on the tournament of the Castle of Maidens. And, um, there are all of these people running around trying to kill Sir Lancelot, right? And there were multiple occasions of 30 knights lying in ambush. That appears to be the standard number uh, of knights in, a, in an anti-Sir Lancelot posse, basically, right? Um, so Sir Tristram is traveling with Sir Dinadin, and they hear of, uh, you know, this damsel tells them of a plot to kill Sir Lancelot, and that there are 30 knights lying in wait uh, to kill uh, Sir Lancelot. Now, Ferdinand Dimesel, sighed Sir Tristram, bring me to that some place where they shall meet with Sir Lancelot. Then sighed Sir Dinadin, what will ye do? It is not for us to fight with thirty knechtes, and wit ye well, I will not thereof. As to match all knecht, two or three as ye know, and they be men, but for to match fifteen knechtes, that I will never undertake. Fie for sham, sighed Sir Tristram, do but your part. Mm. Uh, I think I missed a bit here. Um, uh, but anyway, so Tristram is refusing to uh, uh, to to get rid of his shield. Nigh, sighed Sir Tristram, I will not depart from my shield for her sack that gaffed me. But own thing, sighed Sir Tristram, I promise thee, Sir Dinadan, but if thou wilt promise me to abide with me, wreaked here, I shall slay thee. For I desire no more of thee, but answer own knicked, and if thy heart will not serve thee, stand by and look upon. Sir, sighed Sir Dinadan, Dinadan, I will promise you to look upon and do what I may to salve myself, but I would I had not met with you. Okay, couple interesting things here. Um, Marilyn, I agree. Sir Dinadan is kind of awesome, right? He is the only sarcastic knight that we've met. Like, Sir Kay, you know, fancies himself a wit, right? But Sir Dinadan is, legit, is legitimately funny, right? Um... Uh, this guy is hysterical. So, okay. So, Sir Dinadin feels compelled to point out that if 30 knights are lying in wait to murder Sir Lancelot, the best way to go about thwarting this plan is not to allow them to murder you instead, right? You know, so Tr Sir Tristram is like, let us go spring the trap, right? Let's go, let's go attack those, let's get those 30 men to attack 
us instead, and then we'll fight them off so that then they won't be attacking Lancelot. And Sir Denon is like, am I the only one who sees a problem with this plan? Right? This does not seem like a cunning plan. Um, and um, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think uh, uh, there is any connection between Dinadon and Dunedon. Um, I am very sure that this is another one of those examples of... Um, I could imagine if you if you could go up to Tolkien and say, were you thinking of Sir Dinadan when you named the Dunedain? He would like look puzzled for a minute and it would just be like, those two words have nothing to do with each other. I don't even understand why you're connecting them, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, James. Yeah, the, 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 the bit that was left out is another insult about the Knights of Cornwall. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was something like that. Um, but anyway, okay. Um, so, Sir Dinadin is super interesting, not just because he's like the sardonic knight, which is very unusual uh, uh, among the Knights of the Round Table, uh, but he's also, he's like the only one who speaks from a non-heroic standpoint. He is unapologetically unheroic, right? Um, most of the other knights that we've met, right? Sir Tristram, Sir Lancelot, Sir Lamorak, Sir Gareth, right? Even Sir Lacote Maltile. Sir Lacote Maltile would do this, right? He'd lose, but he'd do it, right? He'd be game. Um, uh, anyway, um, he, Denadin is the only person who talks like this, who says, hang on, dude, like, this is dumb for us to go fight 30 people, right? Um, and he's like, you know, matching myself against two or three, really, that's plenty. That's like more than enough. Um, I'm not going to undertake to match 15 knights. The way that Sir Dinadan serves as a kind of a foil for Tristram here, right? Tristram's enthusiasm, his sort of, well, okay, empty-headed enthusiasm, right? Um, Pfeiffer, um, do but your part, right? Um, and uh, you're threatening to kill Sir Dinadan if Sir Dinadan, like, chickens out, right? Um, and... Uh, Sir Tristram's sort of biting remark after the death threat, his biting remark. Um, he's like, Look, you just fight one, I'll take the other 29, right? And it's, it's, it doesn't Sir Denadin make Sir Tristram sound a little imbalanced in this whole sequence, right? Um, and if thy heart will not serve thee, stand by and look upon, just stand by and watch if you don't have the guts to fight. Right. And Sir Dinadin says, I will promise you to look upon and do what I may to save myself. But I wold I had not met with you. He doesn't back down. Right. He never backs down. Um, he doesn't like, oh, Sir Tristram, you shame me. If you are willing to take on all 29, then surely I can do my small part. And I may like I, I keep expecting him to come around to that. But he doesn't. Right. I promise you I'll do what I can to save myself, right? That would be prudent. Sure, yeah. Um, but boy, do I wish I hadn't met you, right? It was an unlucky day for me when I became your companion, 
Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks, Karina. I, this was one of my favorite subtitles. It was almost inescapable. Um, yeah. Yeah, Dolores Stroke, I agree. Tristram is um, actively beefing up his resume here, right? I mean, he's he he's now got ran mad for half a year on it, right? And now he's adding the, like, you know, Vanquish 30 Nights uh, single-handedly with only the help of Sir Dinatin, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's not the end of Sir Dinadin. <clears throat> Sir Dinadin uh, fights with him and does a great job, right? Notice Sir Dinadin is much more cowardly in word than in deed, right? He always does, Marilyn, as you say, he always comes through, in fact, right? Um, when it comes to uh, calling into question the prudence of deeds of chivalry, he's all talk, Right. Um, he is, in fact, a stalwart companion and friend. Um, but uh, oh, oh, dear. Sorry. Hit the wrong thing there. Um, but um, but he uh, 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 so he's he is a stalwart companion, even though he doesn't talk the talk. Right. Um, so he's been knocked off his horse and Sir Tristram is like, let's go and attack those guys over there now. Um, then Sir Tristram lasted on Sir Dinadon's helm and pried him to help him. I will not, sighed Sir Dinadon, for I am sore wounded of the thirty creatures that we had to do withal. But ye far, said Sir Dinadon, as a man that were out of his mind that would cast himself away. Are you suicidal, man? he's saying, right? And I may curse the time that ever I saw you, for in the world are not two such connectors that are so wood as is Sir Launcelot and ye, Sir Tristram, for I honest fell in the fellowship of Sir Launcelot as I have done now with you, and he set me so a work that a quarter of a year I kept my bed. Jesus defend me, said Sir Dinadon, from such two connectors, and specially from your fellowship. Then sighed Sir Tristram, I will fight with him both, and anon Sir Tristram bade him come forth both, for I will fix with you. Tristram is on, very much, he's on this, like, manic stretch right now, right? Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, yeah, he, um, uh, <laughs> Zach Coven says, when, uh, whenever Sir Dinadin says that he, uh, he, he, he wished he'd never met Sir Tristram, uh, the narrator should break in and say, not for the last time did he wish that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nancy, it's, it is, it is kind of cute how totally uh, cute or disturbing, depending on your point of view, uh, how totally undeterred Sir Tristram is, uh, by all of this. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, notice how he, he lumps Tristram and Lancelot together. So notice Although he is sardonic, even sarcastic at times, he's not Sir Kay. He's not insulting, right? I mean, he's saying, you know, that uh, Sir Tristram is acting like, is, is insane and suicidal, uh, and, you know, Jesus defend him from, uh, uh, from falling into the company 
uh, of Sir Tristram or Sir Lancelot. But of course, by lumping Tristram in with Sir Lancelot, he's also complimenting him and complimenting him in a way that he surely knows is most thoroughly qualified to, uh, or calculated rather, to please Sir Tristram, the, the compliment that he will value most. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just interesting to me that we get this voice at all, right? Um, that anybody talks like this. Um, it's pretty, uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah, Jennifer, I agree. The parallel between um, the way that Sir Denadin is kind of like the Sancho Panza uh, to uh, Lancelot and Tristram's Quixotes, right? Um, yes, yes. The one who is looking on with an almost Sancho Panza. Well, no, Sancho Panza himself also is, um, though he is constantly critical and uh, uh, rather uh, down on the whole circumstance, also is reliable in, gen in general. Anyway, I keep getting tempted to talk about Don Quixote, but I shan't. Okay. Um, here's another one of those days in the life of uh, Sir Lancelot. Uh, this is, of course, the, the, the day before the Castle of Maidens. Right, Rixo, Sir Lancelot, rode his way, and rode to a well to drink and repose him. And they of North Gallus espied him whither he went, and found there followed him twelve knictes for to have mischieved him, for this cows that upon the morn at the tournament at the castle of Maidens, that he shall not win the victory. He's going to be on the other side of them from the tournament, right? And so they're trying to take Lancelot out uh, before uh, um, before the tournament can start. So they come upon Sir Lancelot suddenly, and Oneth he micked put on his helm and tuck his horse, but they were in hundes with him. Oneth. Uh, uh, as a wonderful old world word means uh, uh, barely or scarcely. Oneth he make to put on his helmet. He could barely put his, put his helmet on um, uh, before uh, they were in hondas with him. And Thon Sir Launcelot got his spear in his hond, and upon the left hond, that within a few st uh, strokes he had slain other three knictes. And the remnant that abode, he wounded him sore, all that did abide. Thus Sir Launcelot escaped from his enemies of North Wallace. And Thon Sir Launcelot, Sir Launcelot rode his way till a friend, and lodged him till on the morrow, for he would not the first die have ado in the tournament, because of his great labour. And on the first die he was with King Arthur, thereas he was set on high upon a chaplet, to discern who was the best worthy of his deedes. So Sir Launcelot was with King Arthur, and justed not the first die. Um, yeah, so, um, this is the kind of thing that Sir Lancelot faces all the time, right? Uh, uh, people trying to gang up on him, either for vengeance because he's killed some of their relatives, which he probably did, uh, or, uh, in, in this case, in order to, uh, um, uh, to, to, to even the odds in the tournament, right, in favor of North Wales, um, the King of North Wales. Doesn't the King of North Wales sort of start to uh, uh, to sound like um, uh, what were they called? Oh, I'm totally forgetting. I'm blanking on the... What's the... 
what's the name of that the the name of the basketball team that uh that never won a game was it the washington generals was it the generals it was the generals yeah yeah the washington generals the the team who just goes around to play against the harlem globetrotters and lose all the time uh yeah the king of north wales kind of reminds me of, of of the washington generals um yeah anyway um so they're they're they're, uh, they're so them ganging up him defending himself and uh you know managing to beat all 12 of the guys who come after him but then he's going to retire up to the press box uh right and uh you know to the luxury to king arthur's luxury suite to watch the tournament and he's not going to participate in the first day because he's all tuckered out from having beaten the 12 guys here um let's see uh are north gallus and north wallace two different places no no, they are not. Uh, G's and W's are kind of interchangeable. That's why uh, people will occasionally and delightfully ride a great wallop on their horses. Like, they get on their horses and they'll go walloping, um, which just means galloping. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, no, it's G's and W's. I don't... I'd, 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 philologists could explain that, perhaps, better than I can. Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, Gallus and Wallace are, are the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely a thing you can see in, in uh, sort of in the history of English, right? Um, you know, all the way, you know, like think of, you know, Guillaume and William, right? Um, yeah, yeah. There are lots of warden and guard and, and, and guardian. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. Anyway, um, so let's start our tournament here. First, a note about how tournaments work. We need to make sure that we're understanding this. Of course, you know, lest we be very confused when we're reading the tournament. Um, perhaps you were imagining like a single or a double elimination bracket, right? For um. Uh, for these tournaments, like they did the tournaments in the Heath Ledger film, right? With which was like a single elimination bracket, right? With everybody coming and jousting in the lists and everything. Um, that's not how the tournaments work in Mallory at all, right? Um, uh, if there's one sentence that best captures how tournaments work in Sir Thomas Mallory, it's the second one here on this slide. Then there was hurling and rushing. That that's that's how tournaments work here, right? So here's the description. Here, notice notice how this sport is played. And anon the Kniktes began the field. What of the king of North Gallus side and of King Caridos? And there began a great party. Thon there was hurling and rushing. Right so come in Sir Perisides and Sir Tristram, and so they did far that day that they put the king of North Gallus aback. Than came in Sir Bleoberus de Ganis, and Sir Gaheris, with them of North Gallus. And than was Sir Persides smitten down in almost slime, for more than forty horsemen went over him. For Sir Bleoberus did great deeds of armies, and Sir Gaheris filed him not. When Sir Tristram beheld them, and saw them do such deeds of armies, he marveled what they were. Also Sir Tristram thought sham that Sir Persides was so done to. And then he got a great spear in his hand, and rode to Sir Gaheris, and smote him down from his horse. So, okay. So, 
we don't have rules, really, right? Now, I'm not saying this is the only way that tournaments were ever done in the Middle Ages. We do get more orderly jousting at lists. That's definitely a thing that does happen in some tournaments. Um, we also have, uh, for instance, the detailed description of the knightly tournament in the Knight's Tale uh, in, uh, in the Canterbury Tales, which is really cool, uh, where you actually get the rules where it's almost exactly like, it's like capture the flag except with broadswords, um, where you go, like you're, you're, it's a, it, was, it was a melee on foot, and you capture knights and you drag them prisoner uh, back to your prison camp, and... Uh, I don't think they can be rescued, but I think maybe they can be rescued. But the game is over where you've got the one captain on either side. And when you capture the other the other captain and bring the captain back to the prison area, then the tournament's over. That's how that's what the rules are in uh, uh, in in the Knight's Tale, uh, not the movie, not the Heath Ledger film. I mean, Chaucer's Knight's Tale, the real one. Um uh, so like I said, it's almost actually, it's almost exactly like capture the flag, except the two team captains are the flags, right? And it's played with deadly weapons. Well, no, it's played. They outlaw deadly weapons, which means you can use maces and broadswords, but you can't use daggers. That's the rule, which seems like a peculiar rule at first. Like, okay, seriously, I can't use my tiny little blade, but I can use my big enormous blade, and that's meant to be that's meant to pr- promote player safety, right? Um, but yeah, it is, of course, because um, you uh, you use your dagger to stab to death the people that you knock down, right? So uh, you don't you can't do that, right? So no daggers, uh, so that if you knock somebody down, they just you know you then you, you don't drag their dead corpses back to the prison area. You they stay alive, um, more fun. Anyway, so um, I here. There are no obvious rules of any kind. Um, that is, there's no goal to the game. Um, there is not really a moment when one side or other wins by achieving some goal, right? That's not how it works. Um, uh, instead, this appears to be simply a massive melee on horseback all day long, right? So, Big old field, lots of stands. This is a huge spectator sport, right? Um, you'll notice that later on we're told the estates were crying out, right? The estates were crying out. That means that all of the estates are... This isn't, this isn't just a second estate affair, right? This is not just the nobles who are at this. All three of the estates, are the, both the clergy and the commons, have all turned out to watch this. Right. Um, this is a huge spectator sport. So huge field. Right. Uh, huge field. Everybody. Just hurling and rushing all over the place. Right. It's a free for all scrum. You are on teams. Right. Uh, you're on the two teams. And so there is a, a general sort of sense of like one side wins over there. But again, there's no objectives to achieve. Uh, exactly. Um, it's just kind of who is deemed to, which side is deemed to have done best that day. Uh, whose deeds of arms have been most, which knights have shown the most prowess. And also, there is no, nobody pulls any punches here, right? Um, everyone is still fighting with deadly weapons at all times. 
and in fact, of course, we're going to read after this that during this, there, there are numerous fatalities uh, at the tournament, right? Um, so essentially, this is exactly like what, yet, Patricia's exactly it. It's exactly, this is a war game, right? Let's pretend we're in a battle. And the only way it's different from a battle is that we'll all agree to be friends afterwards, right? I mean, there's, and that there's nothing at stake other than ego. That's pretty much the only difference between this and a, and a real battle. Um, uh, yeah, so um, Nancy's wondering, is, isn't it a waste for these guys to kill each other in a tournament? Well, you know, I... Nah. <laughs> I mean, yes and no, right? On the one hand, this is the, your job, right? I mean, if there aren't any wars, what are you meant to do? Uh, remember, you're the second estate. What's your job? To fight, right? So if there's nobody to fight, you fight each other, right? You gain worship. You uh, prove yourself against others, right? It's good. Um <laughs> Deborah says, only the wusses die anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Weeding out the weak, right? Hey, you know, it's a tough world. It's a tough world. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, yeah. So they didn't have to worry about, like, post, post-concussion syndrome, which it's a good thing they don't, because there are plenty of people who get plenty concussed uh, in, this, uh, uh, in this story, but it's okay. Um, so... And again, there's, there's, there seem to be, I don't get the sense that there are any rules of any kind. Um, I mean, like you're not supposed to act in an unknightly fashion, but I mean, like notice what they do to Sir Persides, right? They knock him off his horse and then they like override him, right? They keep galloping their horses over top of him, apparently attempting to trample him to death, right? Which doesn't work out. I mean, he lives. Um, and Sir Tristram rescues him. But, I mean, it's like, if that's not against the rules, what rules do they have, right? Uh, it's, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This is the greatest sport, though. We just have to, so we just have to accept this, understand how it works, acknowledge this, and uh, and we just we just try to move forward because we really like tournaments in Mallory's world. Okay, um, <laughs> more Sir Dinadin. Sir Dinadin comes against Sir Tristram. So remember, Sir Tristram comes in on the side of North Wales, right? So he's fighting against Arthur's knights, most of them. Um, there come in Sir Dinadin against Sir Tristram. And Sir Tristram gaff him such a buffet that he sooned upon his horse. And so anon Sir Dinadan come to Sir Tristram and sighed, Sire, I knew thee better than thou wainest, but here I promise thee my truth. I will never come against thee more, for I promise thee that sweared of thine shall never come on my helm. <laughs> Sir Dinadan is, he never disappoints, right? He, you know, he comes in and, and sa- the first half of his statement sounds like a very knightly pledge of friendship and loyalty, 
right? You have overcome me in battle, Sir Tristram, so I swear I shall never oppose you again. I shall always be at your side, except being Sir Dinadin, he adds, because I never want to get hit in the head with your sword ever again as long as I live. So I promise I will always fight on your side. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so Dinadin switches sides. By the way, also obviously perfectly okay. Um, there does not seem to be any shame in switching sides, even like on the field of battle. I don't even know how you know. I guess the only way that you know is when suddenly the guy who is fighting with you against the other guys is suddenly attacking you. And now you're like, oh, I guess he's switched sides. And no one seems bothered by this at all. Everyone just takes that in stride, apparently. Um, I don't... I, <laughs> I don't get that. I feel like I would have had problems had I been fighting in tournaments. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Anyway, so Sir Dinadin switches sides, and he's now fighting with Sir Tristram. Um, it is a little bit like Calvin Ball, as uh, both Rachel and Dolores Stroke were, were saying. Um, it's a little Calvin Ball-ish, uh, except instead of making up random rules all the time, they, they're just, there are no rules at all, and you just kind of, it's just an, an open melee where anything goes. Anyway, okay. Palamides is not having a good day. Um, Palamides has lost to Sir Tristram again. Now, remember, this is when Sir Tristram, uh, Sir Palamides, rather. Uh, so, Dame Brangwine uh, is wandering through the woods, and she hears a knight screaming from over here, right? So she comes, she got a squire with her, so she and her squire come and find that Sir Palamides roped to a tree. He's been roped to a tree by Sir Bleoberus and Sir Geharis, who don't want... No, by Sir Ector and Sir Bors, actually, right? Who don't want him to be in the battle anymore. Um, uh, so they've come and they've tied him to a tree. Um, and... Um, anyway, so there he is, tied to a tree, and she, uh, Brangwine, rescues him. Remember, Sir Palamides found Brangwine tied to a tree and rescued her earlier on. Remember with the whole rash vow of La Belle Zode thing that happened before? That was the Dame Brangwine tied to a tree. So she's now reciprocated the untying from a tree to Sir Palamides. And she comes back and tells Sir Tristram, Hey, Sir Palamides was tied to a tree. I cut him loose, but he's still pretty upset. Right. So Sir Tristram goes after. I woeful kneek, Sir Palamides. What misadventure befalleth me that thus I am defoiled with false head and treason through Sir Bors and Sir Ector? Alas, he sighed, why live I so long? And then he got his sword in his hand and mod many strange signes and tokens, and so through in raging he threw his sword in that fountain. So he just throws his sword into the fountain. Than Sir Palamides wilded and wrung his hondes, and at the last, for pure sorrow, he ran into that fountain and sought after his sword. Than Sir Tristram saw that and ran upon Sir Palamides and held him in his arms fast. What art thou, sighed Sir Palamides, that holdeth me so? I am a man of this forest that wold thee none harm. 
Alas, said Sir Palamides, I may never win worship where Sir Tristram is, for ever where he is and I be, there get I no worship. And if he be a wife, for the most party I have the gree, unless that Sir Launcelot be there, other ellis Sir Lamorak. Then Sir Palamides said, Honest in Ireland, Sir Tristram put me to the worse, and another time in Cornwall, and in other places in this land. What would ye do? sighed Sir Tristram. And ye had, Sir Tristram. I would fict with him, sighed Sir Palamides, and ease my heart upon him. And yet, to say the sooth, Sir Tristram is the gentlest knicked in this world living. Sir, what will ye do? sighed Sir Tristram. Will ye go with me to your lodging? And Sir Tristram has him back to his pavilion and puts him up and makes sure nobody's like, Sir Dinadin, like, psh, you know, Everybody, nobody give away. So he doesn't realize that he spends the night in Sir Tristram's pavilion at all, right? They try not to give away the fact that he's with Sir Tristram. So Sir Tristram, um, Sir Tristram saves him. Notice when he goes and holds Sir Palamides in his arms fast. Why does he do that, right? Um, <clears throat> he does that because he's afraid Sir Palamides is going to drown himself in the fountain. Um, Sir Palamides is armed, after all. He'd, he'd drown if he, if he threw himself in, right? So he's trying to keep Palamides from harming himself, either with his sword or with the water, right? Um, and listens to Sir Palamides venting about his frustration about how Sir Tristram is always stealing his honor, his worship, from him, Right? What would you do if you had, if Sir Tristram were here right now? I would fight with him and ease my heart upon him, right? He, Sir Palamides doesn't want to murder Sir Tristram, right? He doesn't want to just do him in and get rid of him. He wants to beat him once and for all, right? He wants to prove himself. Um, he wants to show that he can measure up to Sir Tristram, um, if only once. Dolorous Stroke, I don't know what the strange signs and tokens were that he was making. Um, I think... So they're seeing him from a distance. Tristram is seeing, has come upon him, and he's seeing him from a distance here. Strange signs and tokens. I think he's, like, making wild gesticulations and threatening to stab himself with the sword. Um, I think these are like... I take this as various external signs of suicidal ideations on Sir Palamides' part, uh, is uh, is what I take. It's possible, Devra, that this has something to do with being a Saracen. Um, that he's doing something vaguely Muslimish, right? Or like whatever that would look like, whatever Maori would think that would look like, right? Um, I'm not really sure. It's possible. Though, Devra, we never, we are reminded that Sir Palamides is a Saracen, that he's not christened. But we're rarely reminded that he's something else, right? He's not a Christian yet, formally, but he's not really very Muslim either. Um, 
it is, it is possible, Tarloniel, that he's just doing something foreign, right? Uh, that is possible. But again, I tend to think that the strange signs and tokens are not foreign, non-English carryings on on Sir Palamides' part, but rather, like, this guy is, you know, one or two steps away from running naked into the woods uh, kind of strange signs and tokens. Um Speaking of being a Saracen and as yet unchristened, you know what I literally never thought of until this evening? Where is this all happening? What does Tristram just save Palamides from doing? What was he just about to do? Or did he look like he might do? Immerse himself in a font. Am I the only one who finds that a little odd? Right? A little conspicuous? Right? I mean, he has this... And, and, and you know, okay, so you know when this occurred to me? This occurred to me when I was about to make a joke. Um, so when I was typing the, um, uh, uh, the, the Twitch notification before I started class tonight, I was about to make a crack about, like, you know, don't let Sir Palamides get near a body of water. And then I'm like, yeah, like a baptismal font, maybe? Yeah, he, he does have an issue with bodies of water, doesn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, this is certainly not a baptism, right? And, and, and I certainly agree, David, that uh, he's preventing him from dying a heathen, right? I mean... Suicide is a bad look, whether you're baptized or not, right? I mean, suicide, I think we've talked about that, haven't we? Did, was it in this class or somewhere else we talked about this? Uh, the very um, uh, uh, sort of rigorously logical reason that the medievals were very harsh on suicide, right? Because it's you've committed murder and it's literally impossible. It's like logically impossible for you to repent the deed after you've done it. Uh, and so therefore, if you commit suicide inescapably, you go to the afterworld with uh, uh, with a with a, a mortal sin on your conscience, which you can't have possibly been uh, uh, shrived of uh, beforehand. It was when we were talking about in the Boethius class, was it? We were talking about that. Yeah. So anyway, so suicide is 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 bad news whether you're Christian or heathen. Um, but we already saw that, like La Bellezode was worried that Sir Palamides was going to die unchristened. Right. She 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 wasn't into him, but she didn't want him to go to hell either. Um, so she doesn't she tries to save his life. I, I definitely agree. That's what Tristram is doing here. I just can't help but notice this is happening in a font. I'm not saying that there's a literal baptism here um, that like all he has to do is dunk himself and he's fine. What I mean, just I'm, symbolically is all I'm saying. Symbolically, the fact that. Um, Sir Palamides, the conspicuously unbaptized knight, is uh, threatening to immerse himself in a font. I'm just saying, it's baptism-ish, right? I can't, uh, uh, I can't kind of escape. I'm not sure what to do with it, but it seems like that can't really be an accident. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, Stephen, yes. Dante is very thoughtful and interesting about uh, uh, the suicides that he uh, places, where he places and what happens with them in Inferno. Um, but no spoilers in case we read that someday. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, like I said, not quite sure what to do with it yet. Well, we, we may recall this scene later on. 
Palamides is enormously frustrated. He's envious of Tristram. Envy, remember, one of the seven deadly sins. Um, but he also admires and respects Tristram and seemed to be genuinely worried about him when he, Tristram, was running mad in the woods, right? And Tristram himself, um, I agree, who was it who was saying that this is, yeah, Marilyn was saying this might be Tristram's most honorable act. Yes, I think that nowhere in this book does Sir Tristram look as attractive as he does in this moment when he is saving Sir Palamides' life and bringing him back and not letting him know who's, you know, that, that taking care of him and let's not, let's con- I'm going to conceal my identity from him so that he's not upset about it and he doesn't get all, you know, hot and bothered about the fact that I'm here and jump up and want to fight me, right? Let's just, uh, he'll be fine. Um, that's, uh, uh, I, I agree. I think that this is, this is really one of Tristram's finest moments. And then the next day, right? Tristram has said he's going to be on whatever side Sir Palamides is not on, right? He's going to be opposed to Sir Palamides. Um, so he meets... Um, Sir Tristram has just knocked Sir Palamides and King Arthur off their horses. And thawned by force of King Arthur's connectors, the king and Sir Palamides were horsed again. Then King Arthur, with a great, e- with a great eager heart, he got a great spear in his hand, and thereupon the onside he smote Sir Tristram over his horse. Then foot hot Sir Palamides come upon Sir Tristram, as he was upon foot to have overridden him. Then Sir Tristram was ware of him, and stooped a little aside, and with great ire he got him by the armies and pulled him down from his horse. Then Sir Palamides leakly arose, and they dashed togethers with their swearedes meekly, that many kinges, queenes, lordes, and ladies stood and beheld them. And at the last Sir Tristram smote Sir Palamides upon the helm three meekly strokes, and at every stroke that he gaff he sighed, have this for Sir Tristram's sack. And with that, Sir Palamides fell to the earth, groveling. <laughs> Dollar Stroke says, wow, that redemption of Tristram didn't last long. Yes, okay, all right. So part of me wants to do an apologist Tristram reading where I say, okay, he says he's going to be on the other side from Sir Palamides because he wants to give Sir Palamides the chance to fight him. Right. You know, Sir, remember, he says, what would you do if you had Sir Tristram with you now? And he's like, I would fight him. Right. I, you know, he has said again and again, I want to prove myself against Sir Tristram. So I'd like to think that Sir Tristram is being charitable right, and being like, OK, I'll, I'll give him a fair crack tomorrow. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll give you another shot at the title. Um, yeah. Um, but have this for Sir Tristram's sake kind of seems like rubbing in right at the end of the day he's going to beat sir uh sir Pal- he he seems to have some pity for sir palamides but he's going to keep beating him he's not going to stop right he's not going to sandbag it against sir palamides um and sir palamides kind of tries to kill him right uh comes upon him at disadvantage when tristram is unhorsed and palamides is horsed um things are still pretty rough around the edges here on both sides but they're not done. Afterwards, Sir Tristram meets Lancelot in the field and Lancelot accidentally impales him. 
uh, right? So, so Lancelot's the truncheon of Lancelot's spear is still sticking out of Sir Tristram's side, uh, and he flees the field um, and uh, is off in the woods, and Sir Dinadan is still with him and very concerned on his behalf, right? Um, and anon, Sir Dinadan was was war where come Sir Palamides riding straight upon them, and Sir Tristram was war that Sir Palamides come to have destroyed him. And so Sir Dinadan gaf him warning, and sighed, Sir Tristram, my lord, ye are so wounded that ye may not have ado with him. Therefore I will ride against him, and do to him what I may, and if I be slain, ye may pray for my soul. And so in the meanwhile ye may withdraw you, and go into the castle or in the forest, and there he shall not meet with you. Look at Sir Dinadan, like, I'll sacrifice myself to allow you to escape, right? Though the, you know, if I be slain, you may pray for my soul. That's not a joke. That's very serious. But again, it's it, it still sounds slightly Sir Dinadan-ish, doesn't it? Right? Like a little bit, a little bit whimsical, right? Don't worry about me, sir. Anyway, Sir Tristram smiled and said, I thank you, Sir Dinadan, of your goodwill, but ye shall understand that I am able to handle him. And anon hastily he armed him, and took his horse and a great spear in his hand, and said to Sir Dinadan, Adieu, and rode toward Sir Palamides a soft pass. When Sir Palamides saw him, he aleeked, and made a countenance to amend his horse, but he did it for this cow's, for he abode Sir Gaheris that come after him. And when he was come, he rode toward Sir Tristram. So Sir Palamides is stalling, right? He gets off his horse, uh, and appears to, like, you know, be fixing something, right, on his horse, uh, on, on, on his horse's ta- uh, attack, right? Um, but he's just wasting time. He's just, he's just uh, trying to give Sir Gaheris time to catch up with him so that he's got, uh, he's got a second here in this moment, right? Then he rides towards Sir Tristram. Then Sir Tristram sent unto Sir Palamides and required him to just with him. And if he, if he smote down Sir Palamides, he will do mo- no more to him. And if Sir Palamides smote down Sir Tristram, he bade him do his utterance. And so they were accorded and met togetherers. He insists, Tristram insists on fighting Sir Palamides again, despite his own Sir Tristram's very grievous injury. Right? Notice the unequal terms. If I knock you off your horse, I am not getting down off this horse to fight you on foot because, uh, you know, um, you know, I only say this because I do not have the strength to stand. Um, but uh, but if you knock me off my horse, well, you might as well do, do his utterance by which he I believe Tristram means if you knock me off this horse, I'll probably be dead anyway. Right. Uh, I'll probably be dead when I hit the ground. So, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Do your do your worst. Um, but he insists he won't let Sir Dinadan go against him. He insists on taking the fight to himself. And he won't, he can't follow it up. He's too injured to uh, continue the fight with uh, Palamides afterwards. And of course, Sir Tristram takes him down and goes right after Sir Gaheris. He rides right through Palamides and comes after Sir Gaheris, who's like, oh, crap, and, you know, barely manages to defend himself before Sir Tristram is upon him and takes him down, too, all still with uh, the great wound in his side here. How would you read this? 
is this Sir Tristram just being stubborn, right? Is this merely Sir Tristram himself being so arrogant that he insists on fighting despite his injury, that he insists that he can um, he can take Sir Palamides even though he has already been grievously wounded? Um, is there just he refuse he under no circumstances will he back he will not give Sir Palamides of all knights the satisfaction. Any other knight in the world that came after him and he'd be like, dude, can we have a rain check? Can we come back another time? Maybe. Uh, but not Sir Palamides, right? With Sir Palamides, he's gonna insist on going through with it. Um, I'm not completely sure, really, how to read this here. Um, is he angry, Sir Tristram? Is he um, arrogant is, I mean, arrogant in a bad way, being, uh, having a high opinion of your own worship is totally normal for knights. That's not, that's clearly not a, a vice, um, in their books. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you, uh, Dolly. It is interesting that Lancelot is tuckered out from the ambush and takes the first day off, but Tristram fights with a spear still in him. Honestly, I read that as like one of them has something to prove and the other one does not. Right. Um, Tristram's not even been made a knight of the round table yet. And most of them, King Arthur, most notably is really meeting Sir Tristram for the first time. This, this, the, the tournament at the council of maidens is, in many ways, like the official coming out party, uh, for, you know, uh, he's like the debutante of the ball here, Sir Tristram is, in, in many ways. Many of them individually have met him. You know, Sir Bleabaris certainly knows him, right? Sir Blamor de Ghana certainly knows him. Um, uh, Sir Palamides, uh, obviously. Uh, there are lots of them who have had encounters with him before individually, but he's, King Arthur has never met him. Sir Lancelot has never fought him. Um, uh, you know, I don't think that they formally met even at all. Um, so this is really the first time that he's able to fight in person in front of the whole audience here. So yeah, he definitely has more to prove. But this is private. This third meeting is not in the field. Um, this is off in the woods afterwards when Palamides has fought, pursued him into the woods because he doesn't want to let him get away because he wants to make sure that they finish it once and for all, if possible. But, of course, he loses again. Um, Then the crowd cries at the end that Sir Lancelot wins the day. Sir Lancelot comes in near the end. He accidentally damages Sir Tristram, uh, but then he does really great deeds of arms for the rest of the day, and everyone's like, Sir Lancelot wins the day. And Sir Lancelot, no, 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 Sir Tristram should be the winner. He's the one who started first. I came in at the end. That Really, I don't deserve the, the prize. Then all the estates and degrees, high and low, side of Sir Lancelot, great worship for the honor that he did to Sir Tristram and for the honor doing by Sir Lancelot. He was at that time more prized and renowned than then and he had overthrown five hundred Cryptas, and all the people hold for his gentleness, first the Estates, high and low, and after the commonality, at honest cried, Sir Launcelot hath won the grey, whatsoever saith whosoever saith nigh. And Than was Sir Launcelot wroth and ashamed, and so therewithal he rode to King Arthur. Note there's no panel of judges, right? 
There is no panel of judges. Who wins the tournament uh, is who is acclaimed by the crowd as a whole, right? Um, everybody gets a voice, literally, in this. Everyone's just shouting who they think won at the end. Often there's a consensus, right? Uh, that seems to happen quite a bit. Um, and uh, and everybody, all the estates and degrees, high and low, right? That gets repeated twice, right? Everybody, uh, from the peasants to the kings, all agree that Lancelot should win. And everybody approves not only of Lancelot's skill, but of his honor, right? Of his humility in trying to lobby to give the uh, the to give the gree, as uh, uh, Palamides said, um, to give the prize of the day uh, to Tristram instead of to him himself. Um, okay, almost done. Just a couple more. Started a little bit late, so we'll finish up here. And thus we let pass King Arthur, and a little we will turn unto Sir Palamides, that after he had a fall of Sir Tristram, he was nigh hond a raged out of his wit for despite of Sir Tristram, and so he followed him by adventure. And as he come by a river, in his woodness he would have made his horse have lopen over the water, and the horse filed footing and fell in the river. Wherefore, Sir Palamides was a drad, lest he should have been drowned. And then he avoided his horse, and swam to the land, and let his horse go down by adventure. And when he come to the land, he took off his harness, and sat roaming and crying as a man out of his mind. Palamides, again, he's now, he's a quarter step away from, uh, uh, from his own spell naked in the wilderness, right? Um, wood, by the way, of course, in case, I mean, you, I'm sure you picked uh, up on this. Wood means crazy, right? I mean, it also means wood, but it, it, it also means, you know, if, if, you know, if you do something as if you were well nigh wood, right, it means insane, crazy. Um, and in his woodness here, I love that word. Something about that word that is delightful. As he come by a river in his woodness, he would have mod his horse. So he was so wood at the time. Uh, that he um, um, that he tried to have his horse jump this huge river, which didn't pan out. It turns out. Um, is it related to wildness? Yeah, maybe, maybe in a sense. Um, but um, Sir Palamides is out of his mind with anger and frustration and presumably a certain amount of self-loathing as he has again failed to overcome Sir Tristram, given another chance, this time at unfair advantage when Tristram was wounded and Tristram beat him again, right? Um, I think the only reason Sir Palamides doesn't strip off all of his clothes and run into the woods is that there's no woman involved, right? Um, but we never see any other knight act quite like this, right? Uh, there are some people who get ticked off at Lancelot, but only really out of vengeance for dead relatives. Um, Sir Palamides' issue, the, the extremity of Sir Palamides' rage and frustration at again and again, you know, being... Really, really good, but not quite the best, is uh, super, 
frustrating. Yes, he's roaming. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, as uh, Nynaeve says, hey, the Lady of the Lake has joined us. Um, as Nynaeve says, uh, he, he's 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 roaming and crying. So he's like wandering up and down and crying out and yelling uh, as a man out of his mind. Yeah. Yeah. And then he does catch up with Tristram and they're both in the same house. And Sir Tristram, of course, remember, is wounded and he's been taken in by this guy who then discovers that Sir Tristram killed three of his sons at that tournament, right? Uh, so he, uh, so then without any tarrying, Sir Daras put Sir Tristram, Sir Palamides, and Sir Dinadan within a strong prison. And there Sir Tristram was like to have died of great sickness. And every die Sir Palamides would reprieve Sir Tristram of old hot betwixt them. And ever Sir Tristram spark fire and said little. But when Sir Palamides see that Sir Tristram was fallen sickness, then was he heavy for him and comforted him in all the best wise he could. And as the French book saith, there come forty knictes to Sir Darras that were of his own kin, and they would have slain Sir Tristram and his fellows. But Sir Darras would not suffer that, but kept them in prison, and meat and drink they had. By the way, I don't know what Sir Darras's end game is here. Like, so he's holding them prisoner because he's mad that that Sir Tristram killed his sons in the tournament, but he won't let. But then his own kin come and want to execute them, and he won't let them do it. He wants to keep. So, like, what's his plan? Just to keep him prisoner indefinitely? Does he have a term in mind? I, I, I you know, is is there some way that Tristram is gonna he's gonna make Tristram make amends? He doesn't mention it. Right? So I, I don't really know what Sir Darius's long-term plan is here. Um, but notice notice how Sir Palamides comes around, right? At the beginning, they're both in prison, and you got to imagine this is not... Uh, Sir Palamides is not pleasant company for Sir Tristram in prison, right? Um, he would reprieve him of old hot betwixt them. So he's, he's uh, 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 throwing the old hatred between them in Tristram's face every day. Um... And Tristram is speaking fair and saying little, right? Tristram won't rise to it. Tristram is speaking softly to him. And then Sir Tristram gets sick. And when Sir Palamides sees that, he's heavy for him. He's sad. And he comforts him in all the best wise that he could. Um, yeah. Karita, I, I agree. I mean, these guys... Um, I'm telling you, like I want a, I want a, I want a buddy movie about Sir Palamides and Sir Tristram, right? I mean, can't you see it? You know, Sir Tristram being like the really annoying, privileged, like high school quarterback jock kind of character who just happens to be really attractive and and like can't help the fact that he's more athletically talented than everybody else, right? And 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 always comes in first at everything. And oh, by the way, he also is like you know lead guitarist in the band and and you know like wrote the book about how to slaughter deer, so many things, right? And then. Um, and then here's Sir Palamides, right? The outsider, the foreigner, um, the only not white guy in this whole place, right? He's a Saracen. Uh, and so he's an outsider in the culture and he's almost made it right. And he's accepted and respected by everybody, but every single time gets beaten out, uh, by Sir Tristram. Uh, and yet, you know, like the, the, the mutual respect and these moments, right? With the, I'm telling you, like... This um, 
Didn't I say at the beginning, right, that Sir Palamides would make a fantastic protagonist for a movie? I'm telling you, I can't wait for the, the Sir Palamides movie. It has to happen someday. It just has to. Uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, so Sir Tristram endured their great pine, for sickness had undertook him. And that is the greatest pine a prisoner may have. For all the while a prisoner may have his health of body, he may endure under the mercy of God and in hope of good deliverance. But when sickness toucheth a prisoner's body, then may a prisoner say all wealth is him bereft, and then hath he cows to wile and weep. Reet so dead Sir Tristram, one sickness had undertook him. For then he took such sorrow that he had almost slain himself. Um, yes, if, um, Jennifer, if you're thinking that this sounds like a, a touch of autobiography here, Rachel's sa uh, saying that he seems to be speaking from personal experience, and Nancy, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I definitely, um, um, this paragraph absolutely sounds like the most indirectly autobiographical paragraph in the whole book, actually. Um, this bit is not in uh, the French books. Um, this is Maori adding this. And uh, yeah, yeah, he's been a night prisoner and um, can tell you from experience, you don't want to be sick while you're in prison. Anything else, man, you can bear up, right? But, uh, but boy, being sick is completely miserable. And here's Tristram hating his life, and here is his greatest mortal enemy um, comforting him in all the best wise that he can throughout his difficult sickness. Tune in next time for more uh, Sir Tristram and Sir Palamides. Uh, so, I totally neglected, and it's absolutely my fault, to get your next reading assignment up. We've run out of the reading assignments that I had placed on before. Um, what we're going to do, so the next uh, section, the next section in the Vinavra edition is called the Round Table. Uh, so we'll, we'll do the whole section on the Round Table. And then the part after that is called King Mark, and it's rather long in the Vinavra edition. Um, so we'll probably do about half of that. But go ahead and read. Um, hope, hope if you're keeping up with the reading very virtuously, you will have read the Round Table section for today. We'll do that next time, plus uh, read the King Mark section, and we'll do as much as we can of that. I hope to go at least halfway through that. Uh, for next time. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll get to talk smack about King Mark next time, uh, which will uh, be a lot of fun. Um, Sir Dagonet is involved, right? It's it's going to be fun. So anyway, okay. So I will see you guys next week uh, for more nightly adventures. Thanks, everybody, for being with me. Bye now. The Mythgard Academy has been offering in-depth discussions of awesome books and films since 2013, completely free to attend and free to download. If you've enjoyed our discussions and would like to help them continue, please consider donating at signumuniversity.org fund.